Alex tomorrow, the weekend is over. <sighs> Why is the weekend got to be over, man? I want every day to be the weekend. You know what? Every day weekend. Yep, let's just run uh, a <laughs> poll in the chat. Should every day be a weekend? The, uh, the answer is yes. The, yeah, the options are yes and yes. And if you say no, you're banned fuck from you, the site. <laughs> Don't get your fuck money out. Get out of here. Yeah. How was your weekend, Patrick? As you're sipping coffee, so I'll I'll just talk for a second until you're done sipping coffee. It was good. Uh, the yeah. weather uh, has taken a turn for the better out here in Chicago. Yeah. We um, it is actually even today. Uh, well, it probably isn't right now, but it will be. You know, when the when the sun gets up a little more. Uh, it's supposed to be in the low 60s. <gasps> I didn't even have to wear a jacket yesterday. It was amazing. It was wow. incredible. I My guess is today you could go to the beach and there would people be people there. Yeah. I mean, I imagine by, by Midwestern standards, the 60s, you know, uh, until it actually gets to be the summer is probably something like a godsend. Uh We've had basically the same thing here. It was it, it was warm for like a day because we had like a, a, a random rainstorm come through, and then it turned freezing but kept raining all of a sudden. So now we're getting like weird wintry mix shit all of a sudden, and I'm not happy about that. It's supposed to rain all week, which I'm actually psyched about. I if it was just rain, that'd be great. I love rain. It's a perfect excuse to sit inside and like play a game, like just like crack open a window, listen to the rain. Oh, thunderstorm would be even better. I feel yeah. Like an old man talking like that, but I do love me a thunderstorm. I gotta me too. say, and we uh, got the we got the kind of thunderstorm that straight up rumbled the apartment too. Like every time it was a thunderclap, like the place would shake because oh, it was like right overhead. That was great. That's the best. Like my yeah. ideal scenario there is to have a thunderstorm, have uh, a little glass, of nice whiskey, like sit outside of a door if it's warm enough, and smoke a cigar. That's like mm. that is like the best thing ever. Didn't know you were a stogie man. Didn't know you were uh, you were up for the for the cigar smoking. Every once in a while, not that's not right. a regular thing. Um, but a good cigar every great once in a while uh, is uh, is a nice is a nice thing. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> I need to learn. Yeah. I have uh, a humidor You're no that was given to me uh, for for Christmas, but uh, it's mostly just keeping in a bunch of cigars that I couldn't tell you the the quality of. Between, uh, between any of them, it's one of those things that I've been meaning to learn something about. But I probably need to just take like a, you take like a class, probably. Yeah, that probably seems like. Well, a here's thing here's do. here's the one handy tip I was able to pick up over my years of, of occasionally smoking cigars. Mm -hmm. If you're able to buy it at a gas station, it's not very good. <laughs> okay, that That's is the fair. extent of my cigar wisdom. That is as far as it goes. Cigar time with Alex Navarro. Don't yeah. buy him at a. Uh, don't station. buy gas station cigars or 7-Elevens. Don't, like don't go to gas stations, maybe. Just in general. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to go to gas stations. I mean, if you have a car. You could just siphon it yourself uh, from the earth. It's discouraged to do that. They, they generally want you to, to participate in this sort of consumer thing, you know, to actually buy the gas from, from, a, from a retailer. Wow, such a society conformist, Alex Navarro. I didn't, I didn't know you had it in you. Uh, I'm way too panicky and anxiety-ridden to try and do things on my own. <laughs> I have to conform to, to, to standards. That's the only way I can survive. Fair enough. Did you play any video games this weekend? I did. Uh, I played through another chunk of Infamous. I'm about 75% uh, of the way through that game at this point. Uh, I will finish it because it is not very long. Uh, I will say that 
I'm a little... I'm not even going to say I'm let down, because I've, I, I've had the same problem with this game as I've had with other Infamous games, which is to say that I've never really cared about the stories at all. Yeah, I don't think they're like bad comic book stories, not even good ones. And this is better, I think. This is like I'm I'm inspired enough to finish this one. Um, but there's not a lot going on there that I really care about. The whole plot line feels kind of contrived and not in a particularly fun way. Um, they do the the pretty blatantly the audio log thing of this is how you collect the backstory, and mm-hmm. I always find that shit really annoying, especially when it's like really blatant. Um, but it is fun. Uh, the different abilities you get are cool. Uh, the the upgrades for them feel meaningful, and they they you know they let you they let you tackle battles different ways, which is nice. Uh, the open world is is you know it's expansive enough for what that game needs to be, and it looks spectacular. So, you know, I've been enjoying what I've played of it. Uh, I my total lack of emotional investment, uh, notwithstanding, I've I've been having a good time with it. Probably not good enough to want to go back and play through it evil. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to just because I have to imagine the contrivances they have to pull together to make you as a total evil dirtbag maintain some of those character relationships that you have to maintain throughout the game mm-hmm. are pretty dumb. Uh, and I kind of want to see those a little bit, but not necessarily enough to want to play through the whole game again. I'm perfectly happy just going through, like, you know, as a paragon of virtue through the entirety of it, uh, and I'll be okay with it. Well, I'll go ahead and promise you, when I play Infamous 2, probably at some point in the next month, I will go ahead and I will be that dick for you. Excellent. I will, yeah, I will I report will... back um, what the game has to do in order to uh, bend over to, to make that happen. But, uh, I, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with being a jerk. I'll just dive yeah. right in. Yeah, I think that uh, that that su- probably suits your personality better. Uh, not that I'm implying anything by that, uh, but I would love to know what you uh, you come across with that because the I mean the good guy story is fine. It's just it's so milk toast and it's so just like n- like unremarkable superhero you know storytelling. It's just kind of like and like all the weird. For all the shit that dude talked at E3, the guy who did that that Sony demo where he was talking about, like, you know, the drones in the air and the surveillance culture and all that shit, it's like, yeah, that's there, but it's just it's just window dressing. Like all other video games that try to tackle issues on any level, it's just fucking window dressing. It's like, here, we just made Seattle look all fucking militarized, and now you can go blow that up. And... You know, I don't know. I just, I guess maybe for all the melodrama that he delivered that speech with, I was kind of hoping that there would be a little more to it. But I, honestly, my own, my enjoyment from that game came purely from just the visual spectacle and just being able to run around and blast fools with neon, you know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's you're definitely seeing a pattern of a lot of games um, these days wanting to act as social commentary. And yeah. It's, it's getting hard to tell when that is sincere or if that is just piggybacking on, like, there's, like, is it going to be a biting critique as social right. commentary or is it just going to be window dressing and setting because that happens to be part of the conversation, right? So it seems like yeah. with Infamous Second Son, it's more that, you know, we as a culture are having a broader conversation about, you know, the rules of a surveillance surveillance state and, and drones and, you know, wiretapping and things like that. So Infamous incorporates those, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily, you know, 
making, like I said, a, a biting critique of the NSA or uh, societal attitudes towards sort of a surveillance culture. No, no, not at all. At best, it is, you know, a, a, a sort of bad play on some of the, the more militaristic elements of, like, X-Men or whatever, you know, where the, the, the government would step in with their anti-mutant agencies or whatever. Uh, you know, it's fine. Like, it, it, it tells the story it needs to tell. It makes the character... I will say the character is not as big of a douchebag as I thought he would be, and maybe that's just because I'm not playing him as an uber dick, but, you know, he, like, every every... Every piece of promotion I ever saw with Delson, the the lead character, kind of made me want to punch him. Mm. Most throughout most of the game thus far, I have not really wanted to hit him at all. Like he's a little smarmy and shitty at times, but not so overbearing that you can't deal with him. Uh, and you know, it's it's in very short spurts. He's never like you know he he's never a sustained asshole. He's just sort of like occasionally a dick. So I don't know. I, I I'm finding it enjoyable. I I think it is. I think that once that system gets a few more big games on it, it is not a game that will last in people's memories for for long, you know, past its uh, it, its play point. I think it is definitely benefiting from the fact that it is one of the few big original games on that system right now. It certainly feels like it's probably time for Sucker Punch to move on from Infamous. Having not played uh, the latest one, it does seem like maybe the well is getting a little dry on yeah. on this specific take uh, that they have and i guess that's actually partially you know again having not played it but you know even just you know looking at it in the run up uh, was a little more disappointed that when they chose to not just make it infamous 3 and be a direct continuation of what had come before that maybe they take a few more risks with the gameplay and the setup um, you know it it seems like that necessarily uh, hasn't really happened in second son no, no, it, it's, I don't know, I, like I said, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, getting the different powers, like ha being able to, you know, throw different types of, 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 you know, blast energy at people is cool, and I like that there's that variety, um, and the open world stuff is well done, like, it is fun to wander around there, I kept running into different things every section that I would walk into, there would always be some camera I wanted to go blow up, or, uh, you know, some drug bust to go break up, but, uh, you know, it's it's it, it, honestly like it does things well and it looks really good, but it doesn't do anything that other open world games haven't done a dozen times before. It just feels like a tightly focused version of you know a million other open world games, and it's fun. It's 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 a good time. I would certainly recommend it, but I'm I'm definitely ready for you know. I think you're right. I think it is maybe time for Sucker Punch to move on, but they probably won't because I imagine this is their most successful franchise at this point. This is the thing that they are going to be making for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, it's it just seems like, you know, I've really enjoyed the open world in, in all of the Infamous games, even when the yeah. story and the characters are just, like, it might as well just delete them. Like, they just weren't really yeah. doing a whole lot for me. But, you know, I love the powers. I love climbing around the environment. You know, yeah. I, I like the way... Sucker Punch builds open worlds, and I like the way yeah. that you interact with them. Like I, I like the verticality. You know, it's not quite Crackdown where, or Saints Row 4 where you're just completely breaking, uh, you know, the physics of the world so you can kind of right. just leap across it. But, like, ah, you know, it's got a very it's, – it's, it's, <laughs> in terms of turning Sly Cooper into an open world game, you wouldn't be able to do that uh, with, with the setting that they have. But they, they essentially do that with Infamous, and, you know, they, they seem to have wildly succeeded – I would just love to see them, you know, maybe do a little, some more shifts in some other directions uh, to make 
that a little more interesting and compelling because it's you know they're getting the gameplay systems right. It's just yeah. everything else they could use a little help with. It seems like. Yeah, they probably just need some. I, I don't know. I'm not saying they don't have writing talent, but I think that they definitely need someone else looking at those scripts and trying to punch them up in a way that is that is more interesting. Because I've just never cared about the characters in any of those games. It's why I stopped playing two and why I never finished one. I just wasn't involved uh, enough to want to, you know, like the open, like you said, the open worlds were fun and the stuff I was doing was fun, but I just never cared enough to finish them. I'll finish this one because, you know, there's, there's just enough of a lull in, in games forthcoming, uh, for me to, to take the time to finish it. And especially if I only got like 25% left of it to do, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think that that is not as like, it, as this is probably my favorite game in the series, it still does not rank very highly on the scope of like third person action games or open world games, you know, as far as ones I've played over the years. That's fair. Well, I'm looking forward to yeah. playing it. I'm slowly but surely I think I'm I, I'm in the last third, maybe last fourth, maybe last fifth. I'm not totally sure. I haven't looked at a fact to be sure, but I am I'm in the final sprint of Dark Souls two. Uh, yeah. I it really feels like I am heading towards the end game of that. I probably have, I don't know, you know, three or four sections left, which is probably equates to maybe five to ten hours of gameplay. But uh, I'm definitely on the the home stretch of Dark Souls 2, which feels I'm very excited about that. That has been a deep sprint in the last two weeks, but yeah, uh, and, and one that has been mighty frustrating at times. But uh, it is it is always satisfying to move forward in in that game, and uh, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm towards the end. Yeah. Um, so you also spent some time this weekend playing other games other than Dark Souls, did you not? I did, yeah. I, I made a conscious effort both because I wanted other things to talk about and because you don't play Dark Souls. Uh, it's right. sort of tough yeah. to talk about Dark Souls to yourself. Um, is uh, So I, I first, on Saturday, I, I, I purchased and downloaded uh, Ground Zeroes. The, right. Yeah the PlayStation 4 because it seemed like it was the best version 60 frames a second 1080p and yeah it's look so if you looked at my tweets obviously uh it you know I was not particularly enthralled with Ground Zeroes and uh right. you know, I I feel that way sort of regardless of you know some of the weird gross twists that happen in the story and how it uh, uh uses some of the characters uh I just I could not get into the gameplay flow, uh, which I was pretty disappointed about, mostly because I think there's a lot of really good fundamental changes. I think open world suits Metal Gear really, really well. I think mm-hmm. the tight corridors uh, that you would often find yourself in in the previous Metal Gear games meant that uh, that's what led to when you were caught, you know, waiting through the alert state and things like that. Uh, you might as well have just killed yourself and 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 started over at the last checkpoint because it just wasn't worth it. Like, the game just didn't give you enough tools when it came to uh, dealing with uh, being caught uh, to make it worthwhile. At least, you know, that's right. kind of how I felt when I played. And by giving you an open world, which gives you places to hide, places to go, and other things to do uh, while you're waiting for that alert state to come back down, I think is a fundamental shift that, you know, makes the just the base gameplay of Metal Gear <clears throat> much more enjoyable. Um, there's also like lots of small tweaks. Like I love the fact that when uh, you get caught, uh, the game goes into slow motion for like five, six seconds. So you can uh, all of a sudden, if a guy catches you, 
you can pull off like a tranquilizer shot uh, to the head and knock them to sleep, and you don't have to go into the alert state. So there are the game has like built. It seems like the game is very much understanding that hey, we need to find ways to empower the player, even though it's a stealth game. So how do you find ways to empower the player without you know making it you know totally uh, sort of a, a power fantasy, uh, even though it's supposed to be a game where you know Snake is is powerful, but you know is at the mercy of being outnumbered by a lot of people. Right, right. Um, so you, I am not the biggest Metal Gear fan. Uh, I have always found uh, Kojima's sensibilities just don't terribly line up with my own. Uh, I, I find those stories to be way overwrought and crazy in a way that I have not terribly enjoyed. Uh, but I've also found that they tend to be tended to be more ridiculous than sort of just straight up awful. Like there was always at least something I could find amusement in in, in a lot of those those other MGS games, uh, the ones I played anyway. This one sounds like it kind of goes for a more just straight up gritty, dare I say, grotesque kind of sensibility with some of its storytelling as well. Uh, that perhaps also still kind of borders on the absurd while still being sort of grotesque. You talked a little bit about it uh, on Twitter, the ending, uh, which I don't think we need to straight up spoil here right now. Uh, the, I'm sure plenty of people have done that on the forums already. And but, yeah, people in the chat should be careful. Like, yeah, I, I imagine people will be, you know, hinting at or explicitly saying uh, as we bring yeah. it up. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I'm. I don't think we need necessarily get into those particulars uh, right now, sure. especially because the the game just came out and people maybe haven't played it yet. But you know, when you look at the public statements that Hideo Kojima has said over the years, like he very much has wanted to move on from the Metal Gear franchise. Um, that's a good way to generate headlines every time a creator says they want to leave the franchise that has come to define uh, their primary work. Uh, so, you know, Kojima certainly comes across as one that would be smart at manipulating the press by making such statements, but if we take them at face value, that he truly does want to leave uh, the Metal Gear franchise and make something new. Uh, he, he, there was a Eurogamer profile I read recently where he mentioned that as much as he has a desire to leave, uh, in terms of getting resources to make what he wants to make, if he just says it's a Metal Gear game, it basically just gets approved. So you, right. you can see why that is a really tempting solution to uh, your creative desires. It's like, well, okay, you don't want to keep working within the Metal Gear universe, but you want to make something else. But you can make whatever you want and get whatever resources you want if you make it within Metal Gear. You know, I think that's why you, you see him making statements like he doesn't care if Ground Zeroes breaks the mythology or if he... Uh, he has to, you know, kind of screw with it in order to fit whatever story he wants to tell. Because right. I think at this point, like, the Metal Gear franchise is buckling under his desire to make something new and that franchise's ability to support what he wants to do there. And yeah. Ground Zeroes, I think, is at the epicenter of that. I think, you know, the ending, the way he uses certain characters is this very natural desire that as one gets older you know you start thinking about your legacy you want to do things that are important you want to be remembered and you tend to do that through whatever creative outlet that you have he has games you know i have like writing and it feels like these subjects are being brought into metal gear a game that has a character whose main villain is skull face a dude right. who looks like freddy krueger 
and then if you read up on the things this character does, yes, it does make you hate a dude named Skullface. Yes, it does make him seem like a horrible, horrible human being. But he's a guy named Skullface. And right. it just doesn't fit Metal Gear at all. And it feels like it's not a good... It's not employed very well and doesn't fit Metal Gear at all. And I think that's what leads to a lot of this like weird anxiety and hang-wringing over it, um, both from people mm-hmm. who really love this franchise and, and want you know Hideo Kojima to do whatever he wants with it. And he should. You know, I mean, look... Like, Kojima is free to create whatever he wants to create. Uh, you know, I would never say that the man should censor himself just because I, I don't particularly care with, for some of the things that he's doing. But I also have the right to tell him I think he's doing a bad job at it. Um, yeah. And that's that's how I feel about this is where some of the, uh, you know, sexual content of Ground Zeroes, uh, let's say, um, it just doesn't work. Like, he doesn't handle it with a deft touch. Like, it feels very brute force, like, let's make this game serious and dark, and it doesn't work for me. Like, it just does not work at all. Like, it really feels like he's trying too hard. Yeah, and, I mean, this is, to hammer that point, like, this is a bit, you know, the the ending and just some of the surrounding stuff in the game around it. Like, before that game even came out, I had people who played it call me up just to tell me about it because they needed to they needed someone to talk to about it because they just they they weren't sure what to even do with the information that they had just processed i'm not even like known as a metal gear fan or even terribly interested in that series amongst anyone that i know but you know like it's one of the like it came across i guess to some of my friends as just so you know completely out there and not well done that they needed someone to just talk about it with because they had they had nowhere else to turn to it, and you know, that as it was described to me, I was just sitting there going, I, "This is going to go over so badly. This is going to go over so badly," and honestly, it hasn't gone over as badly as I thought it would. Like I've seen the re- I've been reading the reactions from people. I've been reading you know some of the reviews and in other pieces on the game, and yeah, there are definitely people who take umbrage with the way that material is handled in that game, and I, I certainly think I would if I played it as well. But it does seem like there are a lot of people that are also just kind of brushing this off as just, you know, oh, whatever, you know, it's just taking a different tone, but it's just Kojima being Kojima. And I don't know. I mean, from what I like, it's like you said, from what I've played of the MGS series, and I've played a few of the games, it, you know, as, as dark as MGS gets is still usually pretty campy and over the top, you know? Like, even when there are, like, scenes of torture or, you know, deep character brooding moments or whatever else, it's usually punctuated with a giant fucking robot ninja coming in and fucking slashing shit up or, you know, other just absolutely absurd things happening. And it doesn't seem like Ground Zeroes really tries to undercut that very much with much ridiculousness at all. Is that... Would you say that was true of your experience playing it or not? Yeah, and and I think there's... There's a very different uh, context for uh, how the the player experiences what we're talking about here. Like the Metal Gear franchise does have a history of um, the, the game has referenced uh, or, or characters have experienced sexual assault, sexual violence in 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 the series before. It is not completely new territory uh, for Metal Gear. But the big difference, the huge difference here, is that it's either implied, uh, mentioned, 
in a piece of dialogue uh, or uh, you know found as part of some backstory. What's different in Ground Zeroes is that it's part of audio tapes and you have to listen to it. Yeah. And it's a creative choice to include it as an audio tape. It's a creative choice to make these characters do these things. Metal Gear is not historical fact. Metal Gear is not historical record. Uh, you can make the argument that, yes, horrible things like what the character Skullface does do uh, or is implied to do in uh, Ground Zeroes uh, has been done in war before. I'm not going to make the argument that war isn't horrible and people haven't done uh, equally, if not worse, things in war. But Metal Gear isn't history, and so it's Hideo Kojima making specific choices to include these things. And so why does someone include those things, the reason they include those things, the way you experience those things, I think are important because those are the creative choices that we can judge and analyze. And I think it's... quite another in Ground Zeroes to have you collecting audio logs and hearing these things occur. Uh, yeah. And I think that is what leads the game to lose its B-movie campiness. Uh, that It just does not fit tonally. I don't think Kojima pulls it off. Uh, it's, it's not that these subjects shouldn't be a part of video games or that even in... Uh, a goofy game can still make a point, right? Like, I mean, that can be its own context is like you're not taking it seriously because of uh, the, the series' own history, and it uses that in a, in a complex way to make a point. Uh, if that was Kojima's intention, I think he fails miserably to do so. So it's not, you know, indicting his decision to do this. It's not indicting his decision uh, to uh, employ this in order to and elicit a feeling from the player it's how he does it, and I think right. I think it doesn't work at all. Uh, I think it's it's completely uh, tonally uh, out there, and it's he made the choice to do it, and I'm not going to feel bad for uh, critiquing him, which is I feel like so part of the problem. Like when you talk about Metal Gear, like it's the one franchise where I make any comment about it, and man, there are just some really really. Let's call them passionate fans that yes, that, that's that come out uh, at you. And so, what's really tough about it is that like those people don't represent every Metal Gear fan. They probably don't represent uh, majority of Metal Gear fans. And yet, uh, those people tend to dominate the conversation because they are the loudest. Uh, they are shouting, um, and it's very easy to focus on them. Like you know, I retweeted one of the more horrible remarks that someone leveraged at me over the weekend, and it's so easy. To then think about how I would just write an article just screaming at those people. Uh, but I don't want to do that. I think that most Metal Gear fans uh, are grown up to have an adult conversation about, you know, what context is. That you can have an idea and it doesn't creatively get pulled off. Um, and, you know, what does this mean for the Phantom Pain? And what Kojima's sort of general narrative thrust is going to be for uh, sort of his career in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And... But yeah, it's really hard to sometimes have that conversation around this franchise. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's it, he has his very passionate uh, defenders, and you know, I mean, I, for my part, there are pieces of MGS I have liked over the years. He is just not uh, a designer or an artist that I like. I find tends to line up with my own personal sensibilities. That doesn't mean that I think the games are all bullshit or anything. It just means that they're not for me. Uh, in this context, though, it sounds like you have more of a general fondness for MGS, and I'm curious, like, what does 
having played Ground Zeroes now, what does that do for your interest level in Phantom Pain now? I have to see what happens would be okay. uh, my initial response. Um, and I do like some of the, the gameplay changes in Ground Zeroes. Like, you know, I yeah. I intend to play Ground Zeroes again if I uh, intend to go forward with writing anything uh, about the game. Um, you know, it's so short that it's easy to imagine. I just didn't spend enough time to get into the flow of the gameplay um, that uh, it takes longer than you know, the 60 minutes that I spent with it uh, in order to uh, really kind of understand how all the systems interact. So, uh, you know, I'm not not willing to completely dismiss uh, it on a gameplay level yet, especially considering I like a lot of the changes. I just couldn't, it just wasn't quite clicking for me uh, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. But, yeah, look, I, I've, I've loved the, the cheesy, over-the-top nature of that franchise. I, I adore how much the game reflects Hideo Kojima's like crazy I want I love Hollywood you know it's an eastern western fusion that is just so reflective of his own personal taste that the reasons I dislike some of the choices he makes when it comes to like long cutscenes and stuff like that are absolutely the reasons I love that the franchise exists because there just aren't that many people that get to purely make exactly what they want to make and it seems like he gets to do that even if that's at odds with you know, wanting to create completely new things. Uh, you know, the Metal Gear franchise is Hideo Kojima, and yeah. and that's what I find fascinating about it. Because if I feel like you learn something about him when you play these games, and yeah, that's just not true of a lot of AAA big budget video games. You don't get a lot of personality uh, in those games, um, and and you get that in in Metal Gear, and that's what I find fascinating about it. Because I feel like I'm doing research about a designer while playing the games. Yeah, yeah, and it, that, I'll give him credit for that. You know, it, that is definitely one of the series for for many, many years that has always felt like it it, it retained a piece of him through each uh, through each installment. Though again, I just I don't think his sensibilities line up with my own. Sure, I will probably never play Ground Zeroes, and I will probably not play the Phantom Pain. Just again, you know, that series is just not something I've been able to get into. But it's interesting hearing your commentary on it, and I do hope you actually do end up writing something about that because I would like to read it. Yeah, I want. Uh, I would recommend. Um... You know, I'm still figuring out what, if anything, I have to, to say uh, about it, um, and I'll probably play through it again before uh, I move in that direction. But Jeremy Parrish, um, who uh, is a big fan of that series, uh, he wrote an excellent piece over at, is it U.S. Gamer or Us Gamer? I think it's U.S. Gamer. Um, that speaks on uh, similar subjects and goes into depth about the tone of the Metal Gear franchise, uh, you know, where we've had... Um, other examples in different media um, where they decide to tackle serious subjects. He talks a lot about Watchmen, you know, which mm-hmm. is, you know, <laughs> about superheroes, but touches on a lot of very dark subjects. Um, in fact, right. a lot of the same ones that uh, the Ground Zeroes does. And he talks about how Watchmen is able to pull it off, how Ground Zeroes doesn't. And I think it's a very interesting analysis that as I was thinking that maybe I should write something, I read that and went, hmm. Maybe someone already said everything I have to say, but right, uh, right. we'll we'll have to see. But I do really recommend people check out his piece. It's very balanced. You know, it comes from a perspective of someone that that does like the games and trying to figure out what does and doesn't work uh, about the the tone of of Ground Zeroes and the execution of some of its more uh, dark imagery uh, that that it brings to the table. So, 
so that was that i played yeah i played ground zeros uh and then i played uh uh two hours of bioshock infinite burial Sea part two okay the conclusion to the bioshock saga yes and it's really good okay it, uh, it, i found go ahead. I, I started down the first episode and didn't get very far into it i still need to finish it uh i found it a little bit I don't know, sluggish, at least at the outset, and I just, I kind of lost interest early on, but I, I need to go back to it. Uh, what, what, what is the fundamental thing about episode two for you that is, that is, the like, what's, what's the best thing so far about playing that episode? They turn it into Dishonored. Okay. All right. <laughs> now you have my interest. Go on. I, it's, uh, Burial Sea Part 2 is a stealth game. Uh, they not only give you control uh, over Elizabeth, that she is now your player character, but they fundamentally upend the mechanics of, um, of Bioshock. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in Burial Sea Part 1, it's, it was taking the mechanics and the evolution and the iteration on combat in Bioshock Infinite and applying that to Rapture, which felt a little ham-fisted, you know, like the fact right. that they, you know, you, you, you still have the Skyhook equivalents, and, I you know, I realized narratively why there are the parallels and blah, 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 blah. But it just felt a little like, okay, all right, well, this doesn't, Okay, it doesn't totally work, but right. in in part two, you know, they narratively have a reason for them to completely change the gameplay. Like they could just make Elizabeth a powerful badass, uh, and you know, it probably would have been fine. But instead, they set it up with, "Hey, uh, you can choose to participate in the violence that uh, has been uh, very much part of Bioshock Infinite and was very much uh, a, a large criticism." of Bioshock Infinite uh, in terms of the way it glorified that violence. And in Burial Sea Part 2, they give you an opportunity to kind of choose. Uh, they definitely give you a lot of options with stealth, and that seems to be uh, what they're trying to encourage you to go towards. Uh, but you can, uh, you know, you have access to guns and things like that, so you can do that. But it really seems like the guns are a last resort. Uh, for example, you can no longer kill the big daddies. That is not, right. not an option. The game just upfront is like, Elizabeth is not going to be able to pull that off. She does not have uh, access to the same, like, high-powered vigors and, and things like that. So you can manipulate the Big Daddy. Like, you know, you can possess it uh, so that he'll, uh, you know, attack the enemies in the area. Uh, or you can, um, you know, manipulate the other uh, splicers in order to them to attack the Big Daddy so you can kind of run through an area. But they give you a lot of new gameplay options that basically allow you to toy with the AI. So you'll have something called a noisemaker, which is attached to a crossbow, and that just creates, you know, you shoot that out and that creates noise over in the corner. So everyone heads over there and you can run through. Or uh, you can set the noisemaker, which is what I've, I've been doing this tactic. You shoot the noisemaker off into the corner and then you can switch to a different ammunition for uh, your crossbow, which is a gas bomb, and then mm -hmm. that knocks everyone out so you attract everyone to a corner, they're all lumped together, poof, throw out this gas bomb, boom, and then they're all gone. And then the entire room is taken care of with relative ease. And the DLC is all about that. Like you can uh, uh, jump up into a skyhook uh, equivalent, and then when you jump off, you can no longer uh, attack people on the way down, but you can jump behind them, and if you hold B, the character will, or Elizabeth will, crouch and she won't make any noise so you can use that to get like really quickly get around the environment get behind someone whack them on the head uh and uh and and kind of stealth your way across uh the world but it's just a different way to play bioshock some things don't really work but i really love the fact that they tried something so dramatically different 
in a piece of DLC. Yeah, yeah, it's cool that they, you know, would would fundamentally change the way you approach the game. And I remember when I when I talked to Ken Levine, you know, some months before the first episode even came out, he was very adamant that the second episode was going to be, you know, a very vastly different experience. And just in talking to him, it seemed like he was a lot more excited about that episode. Uh, not just because you'd be able to play as Elizabeth, but just for like some of the gameplay ideas they had. And I get the impression that, uh, you know, some of that stuff probably came from him actually playing Dishonored once he got done with, you know, Infinite getting ready to ship. Uh, I remember that was one of the games he talked about playing and, and wanting to, to get into as soon as that, that game wrapped on development. So it's not surprising that he would implement some of the stuff in there that he, he might have found in a game like Dishonored. But, uh, that sounds cool. That sounds like something I would want to play because uh, the the core shooty stuff in in Bioshock Infinite was definitely not my favorite uh, aspect of that game. It you know I've said many times before that I thought it was just the gunplay never really jived with anything else. So the way you're you're describing this and the the, the way it sounds like you play as Elizabeth in that episode sounds like something I would enjoy a lot more. Yeah, and and I, it really does feel like they're you know addressing a lot of the criticisms in Bioshock Infinite in this DLC. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the story stuff. I don't want to spoil that for anyone because Spiral yeah. Seed just came out as well. Uh, but to see them be able to make this many changes and try this many new ideas, implement them as fast as they did in Burial Seed Part 2, it makes it makes me pretty bummed that that studio is gone now because yeah. it really does feel like the amount of time they were spending building these games was directly at odds with the talent of a team to actually pull off new ideas very quickly. Um, and you see this in Burial at Sea Part 2 where it's just like, oh, in some ways this is an alternate universe, which you know lines up narratively with Bioshock Infinite, uh, where this studio is given a chance to make things more quickly and take some risks and, and get a little weird. And, you know, like they sort of fundamentally break the game in some ways with uh, with this one where like one of the new powers you get access to is something called a peeping Tom, uh, which is uh, found in a porn shop equivalent in Bioshock or in, in uh-huh. Rapture, which is pretty great. And uh, if you are standing still and you tap it, uh, you can see the enemies around you, kind of turns into a temporary radar. Uh, and mm-hmm. then if you hold it down, you can uh, no enemies are going to see you. So basically, you know, you can choose to engage with the world uh, or there is a way to, like, you know, use a noisemaker and then just walk through an entire room without having to engage uh, with the combat. But you know what? It's nice to have options, uh, and, and that's what I really like about it is it gives the player more options than they had in Bioshock Infinite. Uh, you know, it allows the player to choose whether they want to go down the bloodthirsty route, because you totally can. There's plenty of ammunition that you can just take everyone out the normal way you take people out in Bioshock. Uh, but I have found it fun, uh, at least in the first uh, hour or two, uh, to engage with the stealth stuff. And, yeah, it it feels like Dishonored. Uh, you know, maybe that's me projecting a little bit, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds A-OK by me, and that sounds like something I would enjoy playing. So now I actually have to finish episode one, damn it. Um, but I'll do that eventually. I've heard people are so angry about how Burial at Sea ends that I have to, I have to know. I have yeah, to you're know. not at the end yet, right? You still got a little bit to go. No, apparently this is uh, a little bit bigger than uh, the last episode, but I don't know to what degree. I'm in the middle of collecting some things, and I have collected two of them. So mm. I don't know how much further I have to go once I've done that. But 
there's sort of an upgrade tree, uh, but the upgrade tree is you finding things in the world, and I have not found very many of those, so either I'm not looking close enough or I probably have another two hours to go. But I've heard there is kind of like a long walking down quarters narrative sequence uh, that is like an hour long towards the end. So I, I think I probably have a little bit uh, more to go at least. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how you feel about it once you get to that ending. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to play much else. I had intended to try out the uh, the Galactic Civilizations 3 Alpha when that came out, but I realized that the state that game is in right now is really only playable for people who automatically know how to play Galciv already. Uh, they mm-hmm. there, There's no tutorial built in yet. There's really nothing that would teach you how to play it at all. Uh, so I took someone's suggestion that someone sent me, uh, and I, I downloaded Galsiv 2, just because I'm going to, I want to try that out and see how it is. Um, I have not had a chance to play it yet, but I have it now installed, and I'm going to try messing around with that for a little bit, until Galsiv 3 is actually in a playable state. I'm look, I'm looking forward to hearing what Alice Navarro has to hear has to say about the yeah. Galciv series. I'm very, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I mean, as someone who likes the Civilization games, I don't get the impression that these games are that much more complicated than than mm. Civilization. I mean, I imagine there's there are some more complexities to it, but uh, I don't know. Everything I've read about the series in in preparing for this makes me uh, makes me interested in, in think that it would be something I would really like. So I'm going to see how I like Galciv too. So let's see. There was a there's a little bit of news uh, over the weekend. Uh, yeah, Alien Isolation has a release date of October seventh. Um, I actually played that at GDC. How was it? Uh, it's good. I. Are you allowed to talk about it yeah, yet? Yeah, Is there no, still no, an embargo no, for that? No, I'm okay. definitely allowed to talk about it. Uh, okay, that's good. But you definitely can see the amnesia uh, influence uh, in the game. It's let let's start first things first. It's unbelievably good looking. Like, oh, okay. holy crap! Like, looks so goddamn incredible. Like, it the art is just the high resiest seventies spaceships you have ever seen in a video game, and it is so cool to look around that environment and just it really does feel like you are walking around. Was it was the Nostromo? Nostromo. Yeah, it was the ship from uh, from Alien? The and first one, yeah. And yeah, it just I that's where I spent like a good fifteen minutes just doing that. Was just like peeking around, looking at things, like it's just it looks fantastic. Um and then, you know, pretty quickly you get into uh a sequence involved uh involved with, you know, trying to escape from uh the xenomorph. There's only one, or at least, you know, it appears there's only one. They're trying to sort of, you know, kind of take that formula from the original film uh, and turn that into a game and you know, it it runs into a similar problem that games like this have in which that first encounter is utterly terrifying, and then when you die, it's not nearly as scary on the sixth or seventh time trying to make it through that sequence, uh, which is sort of always the tough part, you know, design-wise for these games is, you know, the ideal scenario is probably that the player just barely makes it out alive on their first time through, so they get all the tension and the surprise that the designers have put in there, but without the frustration of having to really break down the design to figure out like how the AI works. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. It took me like nine or ten times to, to just make it through the sequence, um, and it was like as simple as, I should have gone left instead of right. 
Um, but the moments when it does work, and you know, I caveat a lot of this because it's you know a slight sequence out of the game. I think it's like two different sequences from two different parts of the game, and it you're doing it at this press thing. Like it's not the ideal scenario. Horror games right. do not demo well, so it's you know it, it, you kind of have to take this stuff with a bit of a grain of salt. But the parts where it did work were fantastic, and I am very excited to see what else uh, they do with it. I didn't get any sense of what the crafting system is. I was collecting things that I could presumably use to to make stuff in the game, but I don't know exactly what that means. The alien kills you so fast, I cannot imagine any of that's going to involve injuring the alien, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe you can imagine a scenario where like if you got access to a gun, you'd be able to like scare it away uh, at the at the very most. I don't know. They didn't get into to any of that sort of stuff. Uh, when I when I showed up at the event, uh, I had somewhere to be like pretty quickly, so I wasn't sure I was actually gonna be able to stick around. So like there was a big presentation, like an hour long presentation that I skipped and didn't go to, uh, and I showed up like just before they're about to finish, and the PR person is like, if you go to the other end of the room. You'll be first in line to go play the game. So that <laughs> I was the jerk who didn't take a seat for their presentation, slinked all uh, the way to the left, and they're like, well, please head over to our hands-on area. And, of course, I was the first one able to walk in the door. Sneaky, <laughs> to do that. sneaky scoop, sneaky, uh, sneaky. The PR person told me to do it. I feel like I'm I exonerated. But I did feel uh, kind of a jerk doing it. But, yeah, so it was like a 20-minute demo. It took maybe 30 minutes to play, and it seems very promising. Uh We'll have to see how that pans out, but I'm I'm very excited to see uh, where they go with it. They have nailed the look. They've got the right approach. You know, it's just a matter of pulling it off, which is certainly the hard part, but I'm optimistic, I guess I would say. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, let's face it, the Alien franchise has not exactly had a great run of late, and... Uh... You know, I mean, everything of this game that they've shown has has sounded... They've said the right things every single time, but at the same time, Gearbox said a lot of the right things throughout their promotion of that game, and I realize two different studios, two different approaches, two very different things. There is still a part of me that feels burned inside, deep in my soul, Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to remain skeptical until I hear from people who have actually played a significant portion of that product that it is actually good. Though what you have said here at least encourages me a bit. Yeah, I think people should be rightfully skeptical about a new Alien game, uh, especially one produced by Sega after uh, the last debacle. And, you know, if that means you waiting until the game is out and people are playing it, I think that is the right approach. I think that's usually the right approach with most games, uh, is to (laughs) let other people take the hit before... uh, uh, you shell out uh, your your money for it, but you know this franchise is deep in the hole. Uh, there's yep. there's reason to think that this one could demo promising because you know what, so did Colonial Marines, uh, mm-hmm. and and there's every reason to think that you know, or to be cynical and skeptical uh, that this one is not gonna work. Not to mention that Creative Assembly has never made anything resembling a game like this. They are known as a strategy developer uh so delving into the shooter front like oh not shooter but first person uh is something yeah. new for them doesn't mean they can't do it but given everything that we've had to deal with uh the trauma that is being uh part of uh a fan of the alien franchise and what we've had to go through on the movie side and on the game side uh, there's reason to not have much hope 
Yeah, totally. Uh, I don't think there was that much else. There was something John Carmack mm-hmm. commented on the, the the Facebook stuff. Did he not? He did. Uh, in, there was a one of the artists in Anamanaguchi, Peter Berkman. Um, Anamanaguchi is the uh, chiptune uh, band. Um, in his Tumblr blog, John Carmack actually responded. Uh, let's see. I have it pulled up here. He, uh, I'm not going to read the whole statement, but uh, let's see. Uh, he says, honestly, I wasn't expecting Facebook or this soon. I have zero personal background with them, and I think other companies would have more obvious synergies. However, I do have reasons to believe that they get the big picture as I see it and will be a powerful force towards making it happen. You don't make a commitment like they just did on a whim. I wasn't personally involved in any of the negotiations. I spent an afternoon talking technology with Mark Zuckerberg, and the next week I found out that he bought Oculus. Um, yeah. It's not, I mean, that's that, that that plays to what, you know, we had heard before and what has been going around, that the, that deal was pretty much an overnight thing, more or less. You know, actually, this, this, this comment, I think, is actually way more interesting. It says, there is a case to be made for being like Valve and trying to build a new VR system, ecosystem, like Steam, from the ground up. This is probably what most of the passionate fans wanted to see. The difference is that, for years, the industry thought Valve was nuts and they had the field to themselves. Valve deserves all their success for having the vision and perseverance to see it through to the current state. VR won't be like that. The experience is too obviously powerful, and it makes converts on contact. The, ver- the fairly rapid involvement of the Titans is inevitable, and the real questions were how deeply to partner and with who. And I think he makes a really fair point there, that... The idea, and that's why I made the comparison to Pebble uh, when when I wrote my uh, article weighing in on this and the reaction was that this is all going to get complicated and have a lot of people deeply invested very, very quickly. Uh, whereas Steam was something that Valve was able to spend, uh, you know, at this point, a whole decade getting right because other mm-hmm. people didn't want to get involved, didn't want to build that didn't think it was worth it, we're happy with the existing system. VR is not going to be that way. There's going to be a lot of money from big people like Sony uh, trying to get a slice of that as quickly as possible. And I think Carmack's point is to say, if we wanted to be one of those big players, they needed to partner with someone, and it was a matter of picking the right partner. Right. And in this case, you know, this is the partner that came around with the most money and seemingly the most upside, at least according to the people who were involved in investing in that company and, and the people above him. For his part, he doesn't sound like he's particularly bothered by it. And, you know, but that's also sort of not really been John Carmack's way over the years. It's, you know, he's a head down on the technology kind of guy. He doesn't really care who's signing his checks as long as they allow him to, do you know, fill out the creative vision that he has. So, you know, if nothing else, this seems like this is just a reiteration that he is not terribly concerned about this deal, at least not at this stage. And he still feels like Oculus is going to be able to do what it wants to do just with, you know, greater funding and infrastructure now, which is great. And as we were talking about before the show started, I think it's super great that he is going around just making statements like this on people's fucking blogs because he doesn't care. He doesn't think about it as like a press statement. He's just like, no, I'm just going to go comment on people's stuff because I can. Yeah, I think that's that is so great. It's fantastic. Like, that's... Uh, it's... Thank you, John Carmack. Thank you yeah. for being you. Uh, and then, yeah, and Oculus also picked up uh, the head of Valve's R&D, uh, Michael Abrash, uh, who uh, is the one who, as that implies, was, you know, had worked on Valve's VR system, uh, but Valve had 
publicly said that they didn't have any intentions of releasing it or uh, putting it to market. It was mostly made for them to better understand what VR is and what it was capable of and how Steam might better support uh, things like VR uh, and Oculus down the line. So I think, you know, Abrash leaving is a pretty clear sign that Valve is getting out of that and really, really has no interest in mass producing its own VR device. Um, but, you know, that's that's a big pickup for, for Oculus and, you know, certainly seems to suggest that they're going to be attracting a lot of really top talent when they make a go at this, uh, whatever that go might be. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, Superannuation was talking on Twitter the other day that, that there were multiple id uh, people that had followed Carmack over there as well. So they are, you know, they're building a pretty significant team over there. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be interesting one way or the other how all yep. of that stuff pans out. Um, let's see if there are any questions in here before we. Uh, bring this to a close doesn't seem like i've got any in the queue but i also didn't ask for any so that's what i get uh what are you what are you up to this week uh let's see well i mean just on for my own purposes i'm gonna finish uh infamous here at some point and just get that done and over with uh and beyond that uh i think it's just gonna be kind of getting prepared well the power bomb cast will air again this week uh we'll be recording that on wednesday with the usual crew pre-wrestlemania hype uh, is that, this that just kind of that is this coming Sunday. Yes, okay. that is Sunday night. So I will be attempting to watch that via the WWE Network. We'll see if the streaming holds up or not. Uh, but beyond that, uh, just kind of getting ready uh, for that and for packs and for other things coming up. Not a lot of games coming out for review this week, though. Goat Simulator is out this week, which I will most certainly be playing. That will happen. Yeah, it sounds like that uh, game is some some really good fun. Um, I'm I'm definitely curious to see uh, how that expanded beyond uh, the joke. Uh, yeah. Oh look, we have uh, some breaking news. Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer to take over as head of Xbox division. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So the head of Microsoft Studios, but now he will lead all of the Xbox business, which includes Xbox Live, Xbox Music, and Xbox Video. That seems like the right choice. Phil Spencer yeah. seems like. A smart dude, uh, you know, a smart dude would be like him who says on Twitter that he wants to come on our E3 show, which we will, of course, try to make happen. Uh, oh, of course. If we could actually get Phil Spencer to, to do that, that sounds pretty great. For sure. What do you got coming up this week? Um, well, I'm going to th- mull that Metal Gear stuff. Uh, I'm working on a larger piece about uh, clones, uh building on uh, what happened with the game at threes and 2048 and 10:24, uh, I've been doing some digging into that, which I will not disclose. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm looking into trying to do something a little more substantial uh, with that, uh, given that it's, I think, the most high-profile uh, instance uh, we have seen uh, that isn't like Flappy Bird, where the developer removed the game and then there was a flood of clones to try and uh, take that market because it, you know, the original game no longer existed. You know, Threes is an example of a game uh, where another game is siphoning uh, its potential market value while that game is still on the market, uh, right? In a in a pretty blatant way. Uh, so maybe that's something we can talk about on Friday when I've had a little more of a chance to dig into that. I'm hoping to to file a big piece on that this week, but it sort of depends on how some other pieces of reporting come together in the meantime. Uh, so we're working on that. I'll think about Metal Gear and see if that's something I can't uh, 
pulled together this week as well. Uh, I took last week off from worrying about PAX East, but now I'll have to worry about PAX East this week because uh, I'm giving a talk with Zoe Quinn of Depression Quest, uh, and so I need to start figuring out uh, what exactly I'm going to say for 20 minutes. So yeah, I should probably think about that a little bit, maybe. Makes sense. Yeah, this is probably a good plan. Um, and then some people are asking, uh, the Binding of Isaac feature is now uh, dead. Um, if I have thought about what I'm going to do next, I don't know. I'm going to take at least the next two weeks off. Um, there won't be anything uh, this week or next week because I need to spend that time, A, working on some of these features I mentioned, and B, uh, starting to work on my talk for PAX East. Uh, so that'll be kind of eaten up uh, by time that I would spend on a daily video. But uh, I'm not opposed to doing another one. Uh, it does uh, take up a significant portion of my time, and we probably wouldn't do it daily. We'd probably do it maybe three times a week uh, going forward. But... I'm certainly open to suggestions if people have ideas of games that they think might make sense. Uh, I actually really want to return to Spelunky uh, because I mm. haven't played the original Spelunky, the original game, mm. um, and I would love to see if any of my skills uh, transfer over to that. So maybe that's something we can do for funsies uh, sometime this week uh, or next week. So That would be an interesting experiment. I would love to watch that. We will see. Uh, but that's about it. That's all I can think of right now. Uh, we'll have to see how the rest of the week pans out. But uh, Indeed. Alex, I will, I will talk to you on Friday. Oh.